Hello and welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. Today, my guest is Katherine McGibbon. Katherine's story is one that starts much like other little girls. She was raised in church by a mother who instilled solid family values in her. Yet despite the fact that Katherine's mother raised a strong and independent daughter, Katherine became a victim of sex trafficking. So many of us think that if we live in the United States, our children are immune from that world. But as you'll hear in Katherine's story, that's not always the case. Listen as Katherine shares how she was deceived and became trapped in the horrific world of sex trafficking. By the grace of God, she did escape, and now she uses her story to fight for those who are being trafficked and mentors those who have overcome it. Okay, Catherine, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I really appreciate you taking this time to join me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be a part of a part of this. And, and just thank you for everything that you're doing as far as providing the platform. Well, absolutely. And it's stories like yours, I think, that when women hear that can help them just strengthen their own their own faith and realize that even their hard stories can be used for God's glory and it doesn't define the rest of your life. Right. And that, yeah, and that is for sure your story this month. We've been focusing on women that have been victims of sexual abuse, sexual assault, and that's part of your story, that you were a victim of sex trafficking. And... Um, Today, we're just going to talk about how you got there and how that really is. Sex trafficking is something that is an issue and a problem in the United States. So yeah, let's go ahead and jump in. If you can just start with your story and take us back to your childhood and how you ended up where you did. Sure. Um, so my upbringing was, was very it was very normal. I can say that. I like to tell people that because um, I did have my father left at a very, when I was about seven, between seven and nine, there was a transition out. My parents did get divorced. But even with that divorce, the only memories that I have of him being in the household were wonderful memories, right? So he was a wonderful father. The transition um, was great. And because of the transition, my mother was like, she did everything that she could to provide the home and just keep like that normalcy that we had when he was in the home, when my father was in the home. So I have to say that my childhood was great. And um, I love to tell people that because um, a lot of people have this assumption that maybe it may happen because of broken families and stuff like that. But I really did have a healthy childhood. Um, we And that's why, I mean, that is why I wanted, your story was one I wanted to share because it's not, although often it can be the runaway or the child sure. that's a victim, but that's not your story. And it just shows this can happen to anyone. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So you were raised, your mom raised you um, to be a strong, godly woman. And yep. then tell us kind of, kind of the progression of what happened from there. Yeah. So I was raised, I was born in Canada, right? And my mother um, was raised in Canada and my mother around high school, my high school years, she decided to transition to Texas. And so um, we moved to Texas, to Houston. And um, literally she said that we were going on vacation and like she fell in love with Texas. So we ended up never going back to Canada. So that for me was like a huge life change. This has been like, I tell people, this is the longest summer vacation I've ever had in my life because we just never went back. Right. And that has to be the biggest culture shock I mean not only oh, yeah States, Texas okay mm-hmm. yeah where where it said that everything's bigger right uh-huh. and definitely it definitely was that was true to me for me because I left Canada playing with Barbie dolls at the age of 
14. Like literally we were still playing with, we had a big box of Barbie dolls. And then I moved to to Houston here where it's, things are a lot faster. Things are bigger. You have to be a little bit more mature. So high school for me was very, very, very different. Right. I, I, the, the kids were different and the people were, they dressed differently. They spoke differently. And so my high school years, um, the first, during the first um, transition or whatever, like to the, my sophomore year, because I came straight into sophomore year, it was very challenging for me because I wanted to keep up. I was just like, what do I do to keep up? People think I speak weird. They think I dressed weird. You know what I mean? So that was that like whole culture shock for me where I had to try to adapt. So a lot of insecurities started to, um, to sink in, but I still was a great kid like I found my friends and I found my um purpose in church I went to church I was on the choir and I got into ROTC and community service and so my high school years I pretty much just kept busy because initially I had that those insecurities and so you know what I just figured let me find my niche and my niche was actually helping people serving people going to church and just doing the you know the good church girl thing and that's really how like I fell in love with God at an early age and so that's kind of like how my high school years were. Um, But because of the insecurities, they, you know, like I just never knew how much um, how vulnerable I really was because of those insecurities that I kind of just swept under the rug. So, um, right. So you didn't go, I mean, you didn't look to alcohol and all of that. You, you did throw yourself into helping and the Lord, but you still had those Mm -hmm. underlying insecurities that probably made you vulnerable to, for the rest of what happens in your story. Exactly. So graduated high school um, and now we're going to school or in college and first year just trying to figure it out. Right. Like I had a child um, right as soon as I graduated because I met this individual. I met my children's father like right before graduation. And because of those insecurities, I was just like, oh, my God, what I just I went some for my mother. Like I went from this good girl uh, had her college years planned out had everything planned out to like oh my gosh you're we have a new human to take care of right even with that my mother stepped up and she was like you know what we're not gonna let this stop your plans it's fine we can take care of it um we're gonna love this baby we're gonna raise this baby and you're going to still pursue your dreams so which is so incredible to have her mm-hmm. support with that and not yeah encouraging an abortion or saying now your life is real like she was very encouraging to you she, yeah she was very encouraging she's like you're gonna do this because you've worked so hard you know and so i that was a distraction, but it wasn't a fault. It wasn't a failure. You know what I mean? Like it didn't stop me there. I didn't stop there. So I still went to college. I still went on to, you know, pursue my dreams and, um, and I was doing great. I was doing great. Um, and was baby's father, was he out of the picture then? Were you just raising your child? Yeah, I was out of the, he was out of the picture. He was just a, not a good choice for, like a life partner, you know what I mean? And so, um, and that, that came with a lot of the insecurities that I, that I dealt with as far as like, oh my gosh, not feeling pretty enough, not, you know, whatever. So it was really easy for me just to say, um, you know, when I hear it, oh, I love you. It was great. You know? Um, right. And so he went away and he was out of the picture. And so I started, I got real focused again and, 
like my track record, I kind of just covered up those vulnerabilities, right? Mm -hmm. Covered up the fact that, okay, now I'm really, I was ashamed. I was upset. You know what I mean? That I kind of like did this, but I was still working hard to pursue my, and even harder now that there's like another human involved, a baby involved. So, um, so even harder and more and more focused, more motivated than ever, be- ever before, still had the support of my church family, still lo- loving God, still worshiping through, you know what I mean? So I was doing, I was doing well. And some friends and I, we enrolled into the same school. Um, and for our first year, it was kind of like we were all church girls, what we, we label ourselves and we were doing really great. One of my friends was, um, she sings and she has a beautiful voice and she would always go out to these like talent shows and, and all these singing contests and concerts and all this kind of stuff because she was just really good at it. Mm-hmm. So there was a night that she came back and she was just like, oh my gosh, I met these singers. They were great. I wasn't there because literally my life was school, work, and figuring out how to be a mom (laughs) at the same time. Right. Yeah. So I, I didn't party much. I didn't go out much. Um, and she was like, Oh my gosh, you know, we, we have to, they invited us back out, uh, to VIP and she just really spoke highly of them. And it seemed so fun Mm -hmm. because I didn't have that. I was kind of robbed of that in in high school because of the choice, you know what I mean? That I made. And, and I, I always saw myself as like, okay, I'm always working. I'm always in school. I'm always doing the right thing. So when the opportunity at that age, I was about 20, 19, 19 or 20 at that age, you're just stepping into adulthood and you're like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And then you look back and you realize, well, I didn't even party that much, you know, like I didn't get to go out that much. Yeah. Right. So you felt like I deserve to loosen up, go have a little bit of fun. Yeah, just I'll go have a little bit of fun and it'll be fine Um, because these guys, she spoke really highly of it. It wasn't like, hey, let's go drinking and let's go whatever with these guys. They were real singers. They had albums out. They had um, they knew people. So when she invited me, it was like, oh, okay, great. All of our friends just went. We went to this concert. They invited us backstage. It was a blast. We had a blast. And being young and being kind of sheltered. um, Yeah. We just kind of like had fun. And so these guys kept inviting us out to these events and they were like literally known in Houston and surrounding areas. They knew they had superstar friends. They had a lot of money. They drove fancy cars and it was just a lifestyle that was very, very, very different than mine. Very different than the school girl, church girl way, right? Yeah. And if you had insecurities, I'm sure that just kind of fed into, well, maybe I don't need to like, maybe, you know, I am somebody or something. Exactly. And those insecurities, they followed me throughout high school, but I never knew what that feeling was. I never knew because I never, I never knew that I dealt with insecurity on that level. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, okay. Everybody has their, oh, I got a pimple. Oh crap. I need to, you know what I mean? Like right. there are things that come up in, in your teen years and your young adult and just coming, becoming in your becoming stage. There are a lot of things that you question, but you don't yes. think that you're suffering from like insecurity that needs to be addressed. And that's, I didn't know that until this guy came along. Okay. And honestly, up until this point, I mean, you were doing what probably most 19 or 20 year olds. I mean, like you said, he wasn't like making you have drugs, you know, go out drinking or drugs. Like he was somewhat famous and a lot of, you know, teenage, a lot of people would get kind of caught up that that's really a cool thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, but things really cool. kind of started. Well, they didn't really go. You go ahead and share. They didn't totally change just yet because he continued to be kind of a charmer to you. He did. He continued to be charming um, to all of us. So it started. It started out with he would invite a group of friends. If you remember, I said that my friends and I. I was introduced to them by a friend. So I didn't even know them at first. So it was like our friend, their friends. And it was like, oh, we were just becoming this one big group of like, you know, young adults just kind of hanging out. But those requests for, hey, won't you guys or won't, you know, all of you come hang out. Those requests started to change. And now he was just asking for me. Now he was saying, Mm -hmm. hey, why don't you come hang out with me? And he was like the leader of the group, number one. All of his other friends were kind of like his entourage or kind of like, you know, the the people that he just told what to do. He was the best singer. He handled all the money. He handled all the concerts. He was like the lead. And so for that, for the lead to be interested in someone like me, it was like, whoa. Right. This is this is crazy. He really likes me. And he was starting to, he would start to tell me things like, you know, you're beautiful. You're set apart. You're totally set apart from your friends. You're very different. You're very smart. Um, and so and again, was, still nothing wrong with that. I mean, this nothing. Is, yeah. yeah. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. No, nothing wrong with that. He was showering me with affirmations and, yeah. and I didn't see anything wrong with that. Um, but then he started to, uh, really get his behavior started to change a little because he would really he started to get really um, kind of possessive. Like, where are you at? He wanted to know where I was all, every, all the time. I had to, like, if I was leaving school, I had to call him. If I was going to school, I had to call him. Um, I was at so home. So, how does kids. it get from, like, he's yeah. sure, you know, how does it get from that to then that's okay? Did, were you kind of blinded by that, thinking, like, oh, he just really cares about me? That's exactly it. Yeah. So, that, those hindsight looking back I can say that wow he really got kind of controlling he really did get Mm -hmm. controlling looking back but when you're in it and someone is saying no I care about your safety you need to call me when you're walking to the car no you have kids I need to make sure that you guys are okay let me know that you're at home if you go to the store I want to know because I care about you You don't think that that's control you think that that's love and so which women need to hear that that is a big red flag and we think we know that but it seems like every time women are blinded to it when that happens to them. So yeah. I think it's something to be aware about, something to be aware of if you you notice your friend or your daughter is in that relationship that the guy is controlling. Like, that's not okay, and that's a big it's red flag. Not, it's not okay. There's a difference in loving, um, and I'm actually engaged now, but it's, it's a huge difference in loving and caring and, and genuinely wanting to protect someone versus control. And that's like a whole other topic. But, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely um, – and you, when you're in it, you start to push the bar because they're like, oh, okay, this kind of feels weird, but, but no, this must be this. And so you kind of keep pushing that bar and pushing what you will. Now you're like changing because you know what you would accept before. And now, and then looking back, just as like, I had a child with, with a, with an individual that wasn't respectful at all. He was, you know, not okay. You know, it was a very abusive relationship. And I swore to myself, oh, I would never get in another abuse. Oh God, there's just right. no way. This is not going to happen right. to me. And at and this so, point, this yeah. guy was not violent or abusive no, to you. Not just controlling. All. Yeah. Yes. Just controlling. Um, it, it disguised in love, right? Disguised yes. in care. And, and so this went on for a while. Um, he started, like I said, he singled me out. And now I, I really believe that I was in a relationship with this individual because he only wanted, he wanted to spend so much time with me. And this took a year. So okay. the process it was by a year and a half. Um, 
and the process of him like really keeping his eyes on me was about a year. So he was really, um, he was really someone that I thought I knew. And I say a year and a half, but really it was two years from the point that we met him to the point of his plan, which at the end of the, the our, our year relationship, right? He mm-hmm. says, you know, you are so smart and I really need you on my team, professional team. Um, okay. And I'm like, okay, well, that sounds great. What do I do? Because I don't know anything about he his his deal was to open a record label. And he always talked okay. about opening, owning his own record label because he was a producer anyways. And he produced a lot of music for a lot of people, um, a lot of artists, a lot of singers and rappers. And he was well known, right, for producing okay. music. So when he said that he wanted to open his own, um, start his own record label, it fell in line with what he was doing anyway. So it was like, right. okay, that's not a red flag. That actually is smart. That makes sense. Right. Um, and so when he asked me to help, I was just a little confused because I'm not a that I was going to school for my I wanted to pursue journalism. Um, okay. And at the time I was working in like the medical field. So I don't understand. I didn't understand how those things. Right. Like, why didn't you choose me for that? Yeah. Like aligned okay. with what he wanted me to do. And I, was, and I asked him, I don't, I don't know how you want me to help you like what do I do and he was just like it's not even about what you're gonna do it's about you being on my team again very charming very quick with his words very like okay well that's so sweet he loves me you know right Um, and he promised like some financial stability and the lure of that to take care of your daughter so absolutely he was like you know you are a young woman and you can't keep living with your mom that is unhealthy and so in this year process he successfully alienated me from my my mom mm-hmm. and isolated me from my friends meaning the group like i said it got mind you it got smaller now it was just me and instead of hanging out with them and doing, you know, we were going to choir rehearsal and going to church and all that kind of stuff. Instead of doing those things, I would sacrifice that and go hang out with him. Complete isolation now at this point. Alienation from my, my mother in the fact, in the regard that he would tell me these things like, you know, you're too old for to be living with your mom. You're, she's very controlling. She's She wants, you know, she wants you in. Well, looking back, well, duh, she's raising my child. Like she has my, she's helping me raise my child. Of course she wants to check in with me and stuff like that but he made it sound like she is so controlling and she's always going to keep you there and she's pretty much handicapping you and you're you're never going to grow living with her he was very very he um, said all he said all the right things that yeah, made you think like right okay he's who i need then i don't need god i don't need my mom i just need yeah, this guy that he's, he's who my i need yeah, yeah he's my savior yeah, pretty much. And I'm going to become an independent and I'm going to be, a, you know, and that's what he promised. He was like, I'm going to start my record label and I just need you to come with me. You can do admin stuff or whatever. I just need you on my team. We're going to go. We're going to leave Houston. We're going to go to Dallas. I have investors in Dallas. We're only going to stay there for three months and we're going to come back. And when you come back, we're going to come back with three to five hundred thousand dollars in your pocket and you can start your life of independence. We can start our life. Right. right. I'm going to help you be successful. I'm going to help you not have to struggle raising your children. I'm going to have, I'm going to help you, you know? And so. And didn't he also, I think I read somewhere that he also like had the childcare lined up for your daughter. Like he had everything taken care of. So you didn't have any excuses why you couldn't go. He literally paid that could because that was my hesitation. I was like, there's no way. Um, I know I was like a young, crazy young adult, not really thinking, but 
and learning how to be a parent. But the one thing that I knew was that I was completely in love with my child. I was completely and I'm completely in love with my children. And so he took the time to recognize that. And so when he knew that that would be kind of like a deterrent for me to go, he was like, don't worry about that. Cause I was very hesitant. I was like, I can't leave my kids. for th- There's just no way I'm going to leave my kid for three months. That's impossible. Right. Right. Well, he already had a solution before he even asked me. So he took the time to know my weaknesses, know my vulnerabilities, know what meant the most mm-hmm. to me and what I hate, what I disliked, what I loved. He took the time to really, really know me. And I say that groomers, recruiters, traffickers, they are master manipulators. They will invest yeah. in you as long as they need to, because they, they have one goal in mind, and that's to capitalize off of you. So he yes. was very patient. He was very patient. And so because he knew all these things, he knew what my, my kid meant to me. He knew what drove me. He already had the solution before he confronted me. So, And that's such a good point because, you know, we think of the grooming process and kids are, who are sexually abused. And this is a little bit different grooming process, but it's how mm-hmm. it happens with the sex trafficking. And it's not what we have in our mind of like you know, kids being stolen or women being stolen. I mean, this is, can be a very long alluring process that you don't even know what you're getting into that you, right. uh, so I think that's a very good part. I mean, just a very good point in your story of how this happened to you. So yeah. you did say, okay, I'm going to go probably because you felt like it was the best thing for your daughter too, for you I to did. be financially stable. Yeah. Financially stable and independent. Yeah. So you follow him to Dallas mm-hmm. and kind of take it from there. Does his business, do you guys get started with his business? What happens there? Yeah, the night that I was going to leave for Dallas was, uh, I felt in my gut that there was something. And I honestly believe that God was really, yeah. really like, Kathy, listen, like, I really believe that God was trying to get my attention because I couldn't shake that feeling. It was almost a sick feeling. But yeah. I, but I kind of like, you know what, I'm just gonna do it. This is just my nerves. I just need to just go. I'm, I'm just having an anxiety, a little anxiety about leaving my, my, you know, leaving my right. family behind. This is fine. I can go. Um, so I went and that he immediately, like we, we drove to the hotel room that we were going to be staying. And immediately when I walked through the door, I knew that I was in danger. My life changed Mm -hmm. in that moment. It was instantaneous. There was no, there was no longer because he already invested too much time. So it was, there was no, there was no charm. There was nothing. There was no, okay, well, let me just let her get settled in before I break the news. No, absolutely not. I walked into a, literally, I walked into a nightmare oh. and, um, there were other- so he just changed on a dime, like a oh, different a person. Yep. Wow. Yep. Absolutely. And how did you process that in your mind? Like, what did you even think? I mean, how did you process that? Yeah, there was no, there wasn't even any time to process. Yeah. I just knew in my mind, I said, okay, this is it. And I was like, I don't even know what that, this is, it meant. I've really felt that I was going to die there. Um, but I knew I was in really, really bad trouble. Like I knew that I was in trouble. And so, um, that's, that's kind of how it happened. And so immediately my survivor mode went on and I was like, okay, I'm going to do whatever he says so that I can get out of here. Um, so and did he start, I assume it. started threatening you physically and like, you have to do what I say. Is that part of the switching? Cause he hadn't really been physically abusive before. He hadn't, he hadn't been physically abusive before, but in the process of me knowing, getting to, as he was getting to know me, I was getting to know him, right? <laughs> Some, what, what he presented to me anyways. And so he was very aggressive with other people. I okay. saw that. He was very controlling with other people. He pulled guns out on other people, right? Gotcha. 
um, especially in the music industry and all that stuff, you know, going to concerts and clubs and all that kind of stuff. It was normal to see that aggression. And it was like, whoa, you, he's not someone that you want to play with. But he was he never did it to me or he never had, you know, it was mainly other guys or whatever. But and I heard them talk, you know, him and his friends talk about certain things. But there was never any reason for me to be afraid of him because, you know, Right. And so you took kind yeah. of that mentality and that hotel room of like, okay, I've just got to do what he says. And I, I, just I know what he's capable of. Yeah. yeah. I know what yeah. he's capable of. And he did become very, he became physical. He became, he had the gun out and he was like, you just need to do this and everything will be fine. Like you do what I so say did, and you'll live. <laughs> so it's part of that doing what he said, like immediately he told you, like, you're going to be a prostitute. I'm your pimp. I mean, how, how did that segue or was that a pretty immediate thing too? Yeah. He had another, um, a, a bottom girl there that he, um, trained up to be his, you know, his bottom or whatever. And she, he ordered her to kind of tell me what was going to happen. Basically the rules oh. of the game. So she really just dove into the rules of the game. This is what we're going to do. We're gonna, the guys are going to come. Wow. Men are going to, we're going to get clients. They're going to come. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Don't know eye contact. You're just going to do what they say. Make sure you use condoms, blah, blah, blah. If they don't want one, oh, well, you do what they say regardless. Okay. Oh my like, gosh. This had just seemed like surreal for you. Like oh, this yeah. can't be happening. Like that's yeah. just, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you knew you had to do it to survive because he'd probably kill you if you said, no, I'm not doing that. And, and he knew where my kids, you know, he knew my, my kid, where my baby was, he knew my family was, like I said, when he took a year, he didn't just take a year just to romance me. He took a year to figure me out. And that's every piece of my life so that he could leverage, leverage it. So I, he knew, I knew that he would harm my family. I knew that he would harm me. I knew that he would harm my friends. You know what I mean? And so, because he knew everything about me at that point. He was even paying my cell phone bill. So I couldn't even, you know, take oh my phone my and run. Gosh. And so oh. and so I knew that walking in that I just needed to, whatever she said to do, whatever they said to do, I just had to do it. And so uh, he took pictures of me. The, the first night that I was there, he took pictures of me. He was like, don't worry. He was still very kind of charming. He's like, don't mm-hmm. worry. I'm not, you're not going to, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm actually going to protect you. There's not going to be like the other girls. Mm-hmm. I'm going to protect you. I still had no idea. I'm, mind you, my, my brain is still trying to process or still trying yeah. to keep up with. As they're talking, I'm still in shock. And so I'm sure they took pictures of me. It was like, this, you know, she gave me some outfits from her suitcase. And she was like, this is because I didn't even pack for, you know, I packed <laughs> casually. I didn't. So you pack for a modest. Anything. Yeah. Just yeah. A, a modest, quote, normal life. Not this, not being in the sex trafficking. Right. Right. And so she gave me some outfits from her um, suitcase and she said, "Okay." they took pictures of me and had no idea at that time that it was going to be. I didn't know why they were taking pictures. I thought that he was just being a a jerk, you know, and wanted to kind of shame me or whatever. I had no idea that those pictures were going out on the Internet. Um, And that's how he was getting clients. So even when the clients came to the room, he was like he sat me down and he was like, I know you have a lot of questions. Don't worry. Um, so even like he had these moments where he would go back to his charming self just to reassure me like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm still, it's still me. I'm here. Right. It's the game has right. changed, but I'm still here. So he would tell me that the clients would come and, um, they're going to come here to the room. And the reason why they're going to come to the room is because he's not going to send me out in the street. He, they, he's, he's going to keep me here and he's going to call the clients here so that I will be protected so that he can still watch me. Like he'll he'll still be in the other room. I can still scream. I care about you. That's how much I care about you. I'm gonna keep you here with me so that you won't be harmed. 
Well, yeah, and so yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm not getting. I have so many questions going through my mind. So you keep talking, and so is that what happened? I mean, what what did happen? Yeah, that's what happened. Um, in the beginning, that's what happened. Yeah. Clients would come. I would, you know, be forced to do whatever, whatever, um, in the room. Never saw any. Never saw a lick of money. The transaction happened between him, the trafficker, and the and the buyer. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I was just the puppet, you know, you do what you're supposed to do. And that happened. But I felt as silly as it sounds um, because of the brain, the manipulation. And I was so caught up with this guy. My mindset was still, you know what? Well, at least he's not putting me out on the street. You know, Mm -hmm. at least he's still keeping me here because other girls would come and other girls would leave. It was like a revolving door. I had no idea what was happening. Um, But he made it very clear that they were going out on the street. And so I was like, oh, okay, that scared me half to death. Yeah. He still um, used his manipulation yeah. to make you feel special, to make you feel protected. Did right. you feel like you could leave or is that absolutely not? Because I think for outsiders look at like, well, why didn't you escape? Surely he wasn't with you all the time. Or why didn't the other girls that he had on the street escape? I think that's yeah. the question that people have. Yeah. So he was, she, she, his bottom was with me all the time and he made okay. sure of that. So, um, they were always there. And he also had other do other guides, there, uh, guys there. Um, there was a driver and he drove us around. If we wanted something to eat, he would take us. So he was always, if he wasn't physically there, he always had someone there. Yeah. So you us. are being watched all the time. I mean, you all it's not just yeah. leave at all. No, yeah. absolutely not. It wasn't just an open door policy. Like, okay, I'll see you when you get back. Absolutely not. He dropped us off at a point. He picked us up at a point. And so what I'm getting to is, he promised that he wouldn't put me on the street, but then when, after a few weeks, he was like, you know what, money's slow, and I'm going to need to put you out there. And that's yeah. that, at that moment, that's when I was like, I'm going to die. Yeah. I, I'm literally going to die. Because how do you go from church girl, and that's why I use the term so much in the beginning of the story, like, how do you go from that? How do you go from church girl, community service girl, good girl, to what? Walking the street? I had no idea. Right. And I think most people don't like they think that would be impossible if I raise my kids in the church or that that's not going to happen. But your story says otherwise. And you how? so speaking of being a church, being a church girl, where was your mind with the Lord right then in your relationship? Like, had you just totally blocked him out or were you like prayer? Like, tell me about that part of the story. And that in this moment, I was um, in that particular moment, I was so ashamed that I didn't even turn to God. I knew I never lost my love for him. I never, ever lost my love for him. But I was so ashamed at the at the fact like, oh, my gosh, I put this guy above you. I can never return to you like this is going to be a solo thing because I know that I failed you. And I was so disappointed in myself for disappointing God. And, you know, as, as humans, as we think that we have that kind of power over God, right? We think that we can do so much wrong that he's never, I can, you know what, God, I've sinned to the point of sinning no more. You will never forgive me. And we put God in this little box (laughs) thinking that what, like, we don't even have that power. We don't have enough power. There's not enough sin in the world that can, that can keep a loving God from loving us. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and we so, put our sin in boxes too. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this one, you forget, but this, like, Oh, what you've done, that's too much. And that's yeah. how you felt, which, and yeah. that's how I felt in that moment. I just knew that I couldn't turn to, it was, I was, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I didn't even put my makeup on. I, this girl and I started sort of kind of bonded out of like, I say trauma bond, like yeah. out of, okay, I understand you. You understand me. Let's just do this. Let's get out of here. You know what I mean? But she was very dominant because she was so loyal to him. And I figured if I, 
but I still had a heart for her. So even it's weird because even though I didn't pray for myself, there were other girls there that I actually ministered to. There was a young girl. Mm -hmm. She came with three kids, very young kids. And I was like, I was alone with her for all of five minutes. And in those five minutes, I took the opportunity to minister to her. I was like, you and these babies need to get out of here. You, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're so pretty. You're so, you're so smart. You can go get a job. I promise you that this isn't it. And she cried and I was like, what do you want to do? And she's like, I sing. And I was like, well, you have a, she sang for me. I was like, you have a beautiful voice. Go use your voice. Just don't do this, please. Yeah. Like, so God, was, God yeah. was using you even in that. Awful, even in that. Yeah, he was and I still you. didn't even recognize it, you know, but I, my heart was still for the people. And so um, he put me out on the street after all. And he was like, yeah, you're just going to have to make the money. And um, it, I, that's when I was completely removed from myself. It, everything was a blur. I became so numb because he would pick us up. He would drop us off like at 10 at night. Um, in Arlington, downtown Arlington, which is a really, really rough, rough, rough part, um, high like red light district almost. And um, and he would drop me off at like at 10 p.m. and then he wouldn't come back like until 6 a.m. So from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., I'm hopping in and out of cars and hopping in and out of hotel rooms. So it was totally surreal. So in order for me to survive that, I literally think that it became a blur. I removed myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's what a lot of sexual abuse survivors do. Like they have to, they can't, it's too much for their body and mind and spirit. Yeah. There's just no way. So in order to protect your mind, God protects you, you know what I mean? Like your mind, your brain just knows when enough is enough. And so I, it was like, I was watching just a bad movie and I wasn't in it. I felt the pain physically. I was, of course I was, oh my gosh, there were so many things that happened out there, physically abused, uh, raped. It was so, it was so many things that I viewed this girl that I once knew going through. You know what I mean? Like I was just like looking at the, at the nightmare happen, but I couldn't stop it. And we're talking Texas. I mean, this is what yeah. happens in the United States. This is not another country. And when you hear, you know, we're talking about him being in the record business and being your pimp. I mean, this is a little off subject, but I'm just so curious because we, I feel like in this society, we are so just um, kind of desensitized to that word pimp. We hear it in songs. Yeah. It's cool. Wraps yeah. up like, but that is it's horrific. I mean, that's part of the sex trafficking and, and what the pimps do, the abuse, the tattooing. I mean, it's all of those things. How do you feel when you hear that term just thrown around so much? Oh, I cringe. Yeah. I cringe. As before, when I started partying with him and started partying with him, you know, when we fell into that phase of partying, yeah. I would be singing to those songs. I'd rap, yeah. you know, I'd be, oh my gosh, throwing my hands up in the club and just laughing and just thinking that it was just whatever. And then... So now, and then this, I went through this. And so now, like when I hear it, the word pimp or whatever, I, I literally yeah. cringe and I correct people. I'm like buyer, uh, mm-hmm. or, or, instead of John, or I say trafficker instead of mm-hmm. pimp, like, you know what exactly. I mean? And so it's like, but pimp is a real thing. Pimp is a yeah. thing and it's not, it's not fun in games. It's not what you see in the movies. It's not, um, gl- it's glamorized to the point of acceptance that's what it is. And it's horrific. I mean, I think parents, Mm -hmm. moms, we need to educate our children and sons that like, this is, that is not a term that you throw around. I mean, it's one of the most dehumanizing people there is that um, has that. So, yeah. um, Yeah. So how many, then how many years, months were you caught up then in working the streets that you couldn't leave? And then tell us about how you finally did escape. 
Yeah. So three months turned into nine months. I was out there for nine months and I completely like honestly getting back. I, my friend kept a journal, a diary of my absence um, because she was one of the people helping me with my child. And, and she literally was like, Kathy, no, you were out there. I thought that I was out there for three months. She was like, Kathy, look at the dates. I kept every wow. record, even when you called, like you were gone wow. for nine months, almost a year. And, um, and that was so surreal to me, that, that realization, but I got out because, um, the way that I got out was very unique. And I hear a lot of survivors talk now and every case is unique, yeah. but, um, the girl that I bonded with there, his bottom, um, she started to have, she had a mental breakdown and I didn't know that she had a history of, um, mental health issues. I didn't know that. I didn't know that she was bipolar. I didn't know any of that getting into it, but she was, and she had a severe, severe mental breakdown. And it wasn't until she was in this situation that he revealed to me that she suffered. She had a long history. And, um, and so it was to the point where he couldn't handle her. Um, and so I convinced him to take her back to Houston where she had her doctors and medical treatment. And the only reason why he listened is because this individual was also the mother of his child. They had a child oh, together okay. and they had children together. Yeah. So, so, okay. So somebody family. else that he had convinced that she was the, the only one. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And okay. I had no idea at that time either, but it was just weird. It was crazy how all of it happened. But, um, but he, and that's, so that's why he, he went for it because anyone else, he would have just, oh, okay, whatever. He would have beat him up and he would have left, throw them right. out on the street, literally. But because he had to come back and answer because he, they had a, they had, they were living two lives too. Their family didn't know, even though they might, they may have had their suspicions, but they didn't know exactly what was going on. And this is clearly a crime. So he, there's no way that he could, you know, get rid of her, come back to Houston and answer to these family members who clearly know, okay, where is she? <laughs> you know what I right. mean? And so, right. and so, um, he did. So he in. let you take her back to Houston. Then to no, her. he oh, listened okay. to me. He, he drove us back to Houston. I was like, gotcha. we okay. have to get back to you. I didn't have a chance. I didn't have my own. I didn't have anything. Gotcha. And so, okay. um, he let us, well, he, I convinced him and we all came back to Houston and it was a really long ride because she was literally having a mental breakdown. But the way that I came to my revelation was, um, I just identified it as spiritual. And then that was my come to Jesus moment. Mm -hmm. That was my comeback to Jesus moment. Um, I was like, okay, this is because I clearly knew in that moment, she was very, um, she was to the point where she was self-destructive and she was suicidal, homicidal, right? She was actually mm-hmm. trying to harm us in that. And I said, okay, I've been saying that I was going to die. This is how it's going to be. Like, this is how I'm going to go out. And literally like it's something in my spirit quickened and was like, this is, this is so much bigger than what you think it is. Number one. And number two, if you can just return to me, then I will protect you. And I heard God's voice so clearly. And in that moment, I started praying for real, like praying, praying and, um, didn't care, didn't care what he thought, didn't care, whatever. I was like literally praying out loud, um, wow. grabbed and a Jesus, Bible Jesus took there. you back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm here. Yeah. And I didn't know what to say at first, but there was a Bible there, grabbed the Bible and just started repeating. Um, Psalms 91 means a lot to me because that was what I was repeating in that moment. I just heard my grandmother's voice, you know, mm-hmm. like Kathy, 
when you, when all else felt we don't know what to do is because the answer is to pray. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, this is it. And so in that moment, that's what brought me kind of back to my faith and just returned to God. And we got back to Houston and I'm so glad that I, that I did listen and start praying because we got back to Houston and got her settled. When we got her settled, I started to have all kinds of anxiety to the point of nervous breakdown. Mind you, I have no history of that, but because of the trauma that I went through and just coming back to seeing Houston again and seeing, we dropped her off at like the hospital. We went to his aunt's house and stuff like that. And I had the opportunity to go home. I could have told him, you know what? I could have demanded like, Hey, I need to go home <laughs> because now right. I'm back on familiar territory and I can literally just, you know, go crazy and, and you'll get in trouble. But I didn't because of the trauma. I literally started feeling, um, I can't even explain it, but I, I felt like he was my protector. Mm, I, yeah. I didn't know what normal was anymore. So I literally started breaking down and he had to call. I, I was, I became suicidal. Um, we were in a hotel room and I, he said that I tried to jump the trafficker said that I tried to literally mm. jump off of the sixth floor balcony and he had to grab me by my shirt. The fact that he even grabbed me by my shirt and the fact that he cared in that moment was all God. If there yeah. was nothing, there's nothing that I can like credit that to. He wasn't a sweet, loving guy. He was very protective of his name and his image. And he kind of kept, tried to keep a low profile on what he was doing here in Houston. So a lot of his dirt he did outside because he was known here in Houston for music and he, that's all he wanted right. it to be. Yeah. And um, Dallas was where he had his, um, the business. Dallas and surrounding areas, yeah. Atlanta, all that. He had everything going on in other cities, but Houston, he was clean. So, so he saved you from jumping. Yeah. 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 Okay. So for me to bring attention, it was kind of like he saved me from jumping in, but it was all, all God's grace. And when Absolutely. I did do that, I, you know, he went through my phone and he called my brother. Um, he was like, who do you need me to call? And I kind of scrolled through my phone and he called my brother. My brother came and picked me up. My brother had no idea what was going on. There was, that is a miracle that he did that. Like, yeah. do you think he just knew you were gone? Like you needed, like you had yeah. enough of the trauma. He, I don't think so. I think that he was trying to save himself. Like I need to get uh, you away gotcha. from me. But I the see. fact that he okay. thought that and that because of the trauma that he, he had trauma too be, in that moment because of he never, she said that he, in his words, the young lady that flipped out or, um, she had the mental breakdown. He said that she never flipped out, quote unquote. I use that because I'm quoting him. She yes. never flipped out that bad before. Yeah. So the fact that she broke down to the point where he was like, oh my, like, what is this was a miracle. Yeah. And then the fact that I started to have anxiety and breakdown was a miracle because yeah. those two things saved my life. Um, because he was like to the point where like, okay, you know what? I don't even know what to do right now. Just go. Like just yeah, go. he got desperate. He didn't want his name yeah. associated with any of this in Houston. So your brother came. He had no idea, and he hadn't seen you for nine months or a year or whatever. And what he just happened? immediately started praying. My brother mm, started praying, wow. and my brother and my sister in law came in, and they started praying for me. And he was mm. like, "I don't know what happened. We let's just go." Um, so yeah. he thought that because I didn't say he hit, you know, I, I didn't scream abuse or, you know, he raped right. me. I didn't do any of that. It was just like, he just, he thought that he was coming in the middle of an argument. It was a bad situation. Okay. I'm gonna pick my sister up. Yes. Right? And they had no idea the last year of your life no. living hell you had been through. No, yeah. no idea because I was removed 
before I left, I left my mom's home. Yeah. And I moved in with friends because he successfully, you know, he mastered that. Yeah. And so she, so my brother didn't have any reason to, you know, keep up with me. I was 21 at the time of the incident. So, um, he didn't have any reason to monitor my every move. So he had no idea what I had been through for the last year, for the last months of my life. Um, so when he walked into a situation, he just thought, Oh, okay. Boyfriend, girlfriend gone bad. She's not bleeding. She looks a little rattled. It must be a really bad argument, but he knew something was wrong spiritually because for him to start praying was Mm -hmm. just another thing. So we left and, um, I I would love to say that it just, I've never, um, the trafficking ended right there. And I would love to say that the manipulation ended there as well, but it didn't, it's a process. And I always tell people that recovery is lifetime. It's not, uh, rescue is not an event. It doesn't just happen, right? The cops, however, my rescue is different from other people, but, but even with the cops, they don't just come in and get you and then it's over. That's not the case. Um, it's a, it's a long, long, long process because he tried to contact me, I guess, after he, Calm down, you know, like, okay, what just happened after he processed? He was like, okay, we need to go back out there. Um, so he didn't yeah. contact me. He, he did try to charm me again. And, and he, this time he used the situations. Now he had something that we went through that was traumatic, mm. right? So it's like, wow, what we went through was, was crazy. Not the trafficking, but the fact that we had these breakdowns and we witnessed yeah. these breakdowns together. He was like, I just, now that makes me like want to hold you more and spend it was right back to the same you know yeah and we hear this and we're like how would you even do that or think of that but unfortunately that's the story too many times with girls women are caught up in the sex trafficking that they are rescued but they go back to it because of that manipulation or feeling that protection I mean I know there's so many reasons but you're not alone with with that part of your story did you Mm -hmm. ever though go back to him or was it just he continued to try to get you he continued to try to pursue and something in me just clapped. Well, I dove back into uh, church. I didn't know where else to go. I didn't go to counselors. I didn't tell anyone because I was too ashamed. But so for my, rec- for my healing process, my healing process started with me pretending, pretending to be normal again. So I would, I just dove back into church and then, you know, I was like, okay, I went through something bad, but I'm just going to worship like I used to and pretend to do all these things that look normal. And I'm and you kept silent. Right. But you, that, that does not help the healing that helps some of the healing, of course, but keeping silent is what you did and pretending, which does not help the healing. So how did you go? So how did you go from wanting to keep silent, not wanting to tell to writing a screenplay? How how did that, how did God make that part of your story? So I think, um, the healing process is different for everyone. So like I said, I started off like, okay, I'm just going to pretend, but then it was, it was, it was like something in me was going to erupt and I just couldn't do it anymore. I was, I was literally like losing my mind trying to contain this trauma and try to figure out what happened to me that I wrote it down. So I just kept a journal. Literally, I just turned to paper and I was like, okay, well I trust the pen and I trust the papers. So I'm just going to write out. And for me, I've all, as a little girl, I've always loved to write my, I wanted to pursue journalism. Like I've always loved to write. That was my thing. That was my way of expression. And so I just started to write. And that's literally the the journal became a book and the book became a stage play. And now the stage play is becoming a film. And so I didn't know about the film. That is incredible. So I have the book, Dustin, The Unspoken Revealed, and we'll put links to that on the show notes. But I love 
how you wrote it because you wrote it as if it's not you, but another girl, but it is the true story of you. Um, so it's a really kind of, it's a neat twist on how you did it. And then say that journal became the book. And then how did that become the screenplay? It's somebody, or I'm sorry, not the screenplay, the play. Somebody just... Yeah, I, because of, I started, I started getting into this, um, in the space of anti-human trafficking. And once I learned what it was, um, and I just started hearing all the questions when I started to identify as a survivor, okay, like, okay, this really did happen to me. I started getting questions like, well, what, what really, what did it look like? And what did the people smell like, like just where, you know, questions. Right. And it's, and it really comes from people just want to know, like people yeah. can't comprehend what you can tell a story all day long, but people cannot comprehend how exactly though, did this happen? What was your day to day? Like, were you terrified? And so I said, you know what, I'm going to provide a visual. That's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to provide a visual so that people can see what it looks like from the eyes of a survivor. And so that's what I did. That's where the play came from. It's like, I just wanted to show people instead of tell people. And also I share my story now a lot just because it's my, it's my calling. This is what I've been yeah. called to do, but I have a lot of sister friends that don't, they don't, they can't, and they won't right publicly right. ever share their story, but they want to get it out. And so this is a safe way. Um, I think just plays and stuff like that in visual arts. It's a safe way for survivors to share their story without ever having to do an interview or, you know what I mean? And so, um, with the fear of getting re-victimized. Which I love, love that because we both have a passion for women sharing their stories. Mine happens to be, you know, speaking it and sharing it, but that's not everybody that needs to come on a podcast or to on a platform. I mean, I do feel like as women, we all need to share our stories, but like yeah. you said, different ways. Um, and that's what I saw in your bio that you help others creatively share their stories in a way that yeah. doesn't revictimize or re-traumatize. And there, like you just said, so many creative ways to do yeah. that, Yeah, uh, which I love that. So if you want to talk just a little bit more about that, because I want people to know they, how powerful sharing your story is, but you, we don't all do it the same way. Yeah, we don't. Um, I had an individual come to me when we did the play. I did the play in on March 24th and literally I had survivors coming to me um, anonymously. They would just put me to the side and she, this one girl, she had, she, she was crying hysterically. And, um, and, and she said, I, I want to, she whispered to me, she was like, I want to share my story like that. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell it if it's like that. And that moved me so much because she has, uh-huh. all, she, I can, I can relate to where she is because remember I told you, I felt like I was going to erupt. How do I publicly go and do this? How do I go in front of people and say, this happened to me without re-victimizing myself? One, because the healing process takes a very, very long time. So you don't want to start sharing and you're not even all the way healed yet, you know? Um, right. And then two, just because there's, the, the fact of the shame starts to come back, the memories come back, and then you do find yourself re-exploited or re-victimized by sharing your story. And so when she asked me that and whispered in my ear, and she's not the first, I really felt, I felt where she was. And I said, okay, yeah. we can totally do this. So if it's visually, if we need to do a play or we want to put it on screen, and then it also gives confidence to women who have stories that don't know how they may not be best at public speaking. They may not be a writer, but I can help. I I really have a passion to help develop that and bring that and um, just share the stories in the way that they would like to share it without ever having to be in the position of, um, of re-victimization. And so 
that's really it, it's I'm really passionate about it. Yeah, and I love that you and we'll put the link to your website because you have a whole area on it that people can connect with you if they want to yeah. share their story and you will help them do that as part of their healing process. So yeah. that is just a really neat thing that the Lord brought out of your hard story. The yeah. other thing that you're obviously very involved with um, is working on the anti-trafficking. You still live in Houston, correct? Mm-hmm. And work for a yes. nonprofit down there I to do. bring awareness um, because this is still, still going on. And Texas is what, the second state? Second most, um, what am I trying to say? The second yeah, in the they nation. Call us the largest yeah. hub. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, we don't know, it'll never be factual where, where, how big this problem is because it's such a huge problem to keep the data. Right. But yeah. We, we have a huge, we have a big problem here, but I think everyone does. If you have, if you have a handful of this, of survivors or victims affected, I think it's a huge problem. So um, yeah. And Texas is one of the bigger ones. But like yeah. you said, it's really hard to know the numbers because reporting exactly. and all that, it doesn't. Um, so as we increasing our awareness on this, what can people do to help or bring awareness or to stop it? Um, I know that's like a long answer and we'll yeah. put on the, on the website with your story notes, but what are in a nutshell? I mean, I guess recognizing the signs, what are some things that we can do? Yeah, definitely recognizing the signs. First of all, just education, number one. Yeah. Just go find out about it, um, hear about it, and then you can bring that same education and bring it, spread it to your family, bring it to your family. Start. It starts at home, right? Yes. So you want to talk to your kids about it. You want to talk to your spouse about it. You want to talk to your family members about it, and then you'll find yourself, it'll be easier to talk about once you have the education behind it, because it's a really tough topic. Yeah. So, And then you can spread it out to the communities and just start talking. Then you can wherever whatever your community is there's always an anti-trafficking um nonprofit or organization or anything that you can get involved with i guarantee you this problem is so big that the more people the better so there's always some way to get involved um for me i work for street grace and where we combat minor um the demand we fight the demand for minor sex trafficking and so we definitely there are other organizations if you just call them up you can google it and call them up and you can get involved they always have a link like hey volunteer or partner with us and and they'll definitely show you but i think those are the steps uh, education and awareness and then just get involved in the way that you want to get involved Right. And I think as moms, my audience is primarily women. So as moms, like looking for some of those signs in your daughter's dating as far as controlling boyfriends. I mean, that that doesn't obviously mean all of them are going to be kicking them caught up in sex trafficking, but those are just some signs to look for. And like you said, the awareness Mm -hmm. of um, that this is a problem in this country and um, education and awareness and Um, all of those things. So we will definitely put them on your show notes um, and we will put your book on the show notes. So when is your movie coming out or it's going to be a screenplay? I didn't, like I said, I didn't know that. So do you have details that you can share about that? Yeah. Well, we're in the process of working it up. So it will be um, next year. We'll start working on it for sure because we're working on the treatment this year. The next year will be the actual, okay, let's, let's do this. And then hopefully it won't take us that long to have a big premiere, but I'm going to shout from the mountaintop about it once it's done because it's really something that I'm really huge about because I think this is a real problem. And um, I love, I love movies and there's nothing against what what's out there right now, but we need more, we need real things and, and relatable things out there. Um, well, so yeah. just I mean, to spread just awareness. Like, right. Just like unplanned that just came out. I mean, that's yeah. what we need yeah. is like, what really are the issues and the women wish the issues affecting women, um, yeah. 
So yeah, I'm excited to to see that when it comes out. Well, I encourage people to read your book um, in preparation for the movie in a couple of years. But Thank you. I just appreciate you sharing so much. I mean, I know this is a hard story. I tell it not to like just you know, make it seem so pretty, tie up in a pretty ending, but it's a hard story, but it's amazing to me how God used it for you now to be helping others, um, through sharing their own stories. Yeah. He's, he's so is. So thank you so much, Catherine, for giving up this last hour of your time to connect with me and to share. Thank you so much for having me again. I I love the platform um, that you provide for women to speak out. So thank you so much for everything that you do as well. As Catherine shared in our conversation, she believes that sharing her story contributed to her healing process. Catherine is passionate not only about advocating for victims of sex trafficking, but also helping them share their story in a creative way that doesn't re-victimize them. For more information on this or to connect with Catherine, go to her website at www.kathymcgiven.com. As always, we'll put the link to her website and her book at HerStorySpeaks.com.